The energy transition is a long and winding road, and it needs to be taken step by step. Learn more at SiemensEnergy.com. This is Barron's Live. Each weekday, we bring you live conversations from our newsrooms about what's moving the market right now. On this podcast, we take you inside those conversations, the stories, the ideas, and the stocks to watch so you can invest smarter. Now, let's dial in. Hello and welcome to Barron's Live with Financial News here in London. I'm Justin Cash, online editor at Financial News, and right now, the city is at a crucial turning point for investors. We've seen some major listings head overseas. Deals have dried up. There are a few concerns in London that, in the wake of Brexit, the city is falling behind the pace rather than charging ahead. The government just unveiled a raft of new measures to try and unlock pension funds, make listings easier, and put London back on top in sectors like fintech. But will that see the money flood back in? I've got three people right at the heart of that battle with me today to tell you all about it. We've got Charlotte Croswell, Chair of the Government Backed Centre for Finance, Innovation and Technology. Kate Dawson, Capital Markets and Digital Finance Sector Head for KPMG's Regulatory Insights Centre. And James Palmer, Herbert Smith Freehills Partner and the City UK Leadership Council Member. Thank you so much for joining me, everyone. Charlotte, I'll, I'll probably start with you, if that's okay. How bad is that landscape that I've just laid out? And what are we doing about it? What can we do about it? I, mean, I, I think, you know, just firstly, Justin, thanks for, you know, for inviting me to join today. You know, I mean, you know, what a great topic, because I think it's a conundrum that everybody is looking at at the moment. And sometimes we are a little too British and think it's only a problem sitting here in the UK, when actually when you look globally, this is a real issue. Um, you, we are seeing, you know, we've seen obviously many years of innovation, valuations going up, particularly within the fintech and tech space. And those are now, you could argue, normalising if we look back at the tech days of late 99s or 2000, and there will be winners and losers, no doubt about it. So all of those companies, if you remember, cast your mind back two years ago, everyone was saying we must have SPACs, that everything's going to a SPAC in the US. And now you look at those listings and what's happened to those SPACs and the downturn in valuation. So I think we just need to make sure we don't, we must put it in context. But you know, there is obviously a downturn, the valuations are coming down. So therefore money raised is also coming down because of direct correlation on those. Um, and listings is a hot topic of which you know, we've been spending, I think, a lot of time, uh, I think many of us looking at that and looking at the relevant pieces. Um, so is it a great picture at the moment? No, of course it's not, because we have seen you know, a very bright few years before us. And this is the aftermath of COVID. It is the aftermath of, mm. of potentially Brexit. It is the aftermath set of many, many companies taking advantage of innovation. But I think we just need to be careful to say that actually, you know, this is something happening globally. I think the good thing about the UK is we are very much focused on this, you know, both in industry, policymakers, regulators, government. And I've never seen such a concerted effort, I think, for the last oh God, 15, 20 years, where so many people have come together to say, right, we have to probably update our listing rules. We have to look at how we attract more private investment into into sectors such as innovation. And you know, we have to look at this, you know, this whole space around pension funds, mansion house reforms of what do we do about it? So are we getting the right ingredients in place? Yes, the foundation's being built. I think it's whether that's gonna be enough and what's gonna happen next is the big question. Yeah. 
James, you're right in with those policymakers. What's the the move music like at the moment? Well, I, I, thanks, Justin, and and thanks for inviting me to speak on this as well. Um, I mean, look, I, I, I'm not just being polite to say I strongly agree with Charlotte's comments. I think that she contextualised it very well. Uh, I, I have been involved in this sort of competitiveness debate for more than 25 years now, and I have been very, very critical of a lot of the regulations and barriers that have come in over the years, which I've objected to. Uh, it would be churlish of me not to sound a bit upbeat, actually, because for the first time in my nearly 30 years of involved in listing rule and regulatory and business policy, uh, I am seeing a real sea change. Uh, and it's exactly as Charlotte's described. So I think that you started with a fairly negative diagnosis. I, I think it is not as bad as you say, uh, uh, because the UK is still, you know, it's, it's overtaken San Francisco for fintechs. Let's not forget little details like that in the last couple of months. Uh, but it, uh, and, and, you know, you look at the data and the uh, London Stock Exchange Group have been uh, quite rightly very uh, front foot on this. You look at the actual data, performance of UK IPOs on NASDAQ is not actually that amazing once they've gone there. Uh, actually, quite a lot of listings have happened uh, for tech companies on the LSE. Uh, so the story is not quite as binary as it's presented. But I think that is, that is a bit of a side issue in some ways. And I'll come back to Charlotte's comments. Uh, I, I think this is about trajectory. And I think momentum and trajectory are absolutely fundamental. And I completely agree that for the first time in a long, long time, the UK is realizing that it's got the flexibility, but also the opportunity to drive some really long-term structural changes here. And I know Kate and Charlotte have both been active in this area as well. And I think that is actually quite exciting because I've spent a lot of my career with people in denial that we've got a challenge. And I don't think that denial is uh, nearly as strong now. And I think there's widespread recognition that we need to make some changes. I mean, just, I look, I could talk for too long about it, and you, you should bring Kate in a second and to talk about the work she's been involved with. Uh, but but I, I think that um, uh, the UK is at a turning point, and I don't think we've finished the term, but I think the recognition of the challenges is an incredibly positive moment. And I think the listing rule reforms, I used to chair the FCA's listing panel, advising the regulator on uh, primary markets and listed market policy. And, you know, we, we I, I chaired that through a period where we had nothing but more burdens and more impediments. And here we are with changes that actually just equalize us with the markets that all the pension funds and investors are all invested in already. Uh, and um, and does make us competitive, but still with very high standards. It's not a, it's not a race to the bottom at all. Uh, I think that the bit that really is going to unlock things is the pension fund reform, and we might come back to that uh, a bit later, because I think that is where what we've seen so far in the Mansion House and the proposals is really positive directional and in terms of recognition of a need for change. But I think we're scratching the surface of what is an incredible opportunity. And again, I'll, I'll maybe pick up some more on that a bit later. Yes, loads of time head into what you said about the FCA and, and the changes that it's making. Kate, obviously your your day job is very much getting into the nuts and bolts of, of the regulation here. How much has this situation been the result of regulatory barriers versus other barriers? You know, it's, it's tough out there in the macro environment anyway. How much do you think it will help to look at the underlying regulation rather than the wider climate? I think it has to be a combination of both, unfortunately, you know, I think, you know, the reg can be changed, but I think both the FCA and many other people 
you know, the FCA and the recent, you know, consultation they put out on listing reform say, you know, this will help, but there are many other things. It's a wider environment and, you know, it, it ranges from, yeah, you know, and I think this is where hopefully you can really beginning to see it coming together because, you know, you can change, you know, all the listing rules, but if the capital isn't there in the first place to put in, then you're not necessarily going to get more IPOs. And this is where this, this pension reform is really important and looking at the way um, that, you know, pensions can be used in, in a better way to encourage growth and hopefully also returns for, 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 um, for pensioners um, in this country. So I think it's, it isn't just regulation. If it was, it would be an easy, an easy problem. Yeah. It's also, I think a lot of the conversations I've been into, and I think it's very right that there is, there's almost a plethora of industry groups looking at all these different things. And in some ways there needs to be more coordination because we don't want to lose all our energy in, in, in too much kind of talking to each other and not actually moving forward but i think there's also a recognition and it's it's a bit of a difficult one to kind of put on but about culture and how you know you know maybe the uk needs to to be more more embracing of growth and and you know that but it's a difficult one because there's also and i think this also comes back to the regulators it's about risk and the risks you're prepared to take and the regulators are very much had as their objectives, rightly so, over the, over the last few years about managing risk and, you know, making sure we reach, you know, financial stability, we protect consumers, we, um, you know, market integrity. But now they've got this secondary objective about competitiveness and growth. So it will be interesting to see how that plays out, how the tension between those which sometimes exists will play out. But I think it's, it's definitely an interesting time. You mentioned culture that leads very neatly onto a, uh, a question that came in from the audience. Mark, thanks so much for sending that in. Do use the, uh, the chat function, guys, if you've got any more for the panel. Mark asks, to what extent do you feel instilling a new sense of equity culture and ownership akin to the US amongst retail investors in UK markets? Will help reinvigorate London's markets and provide liquidity. And as, as Kate said, changing technical regulatory standards is one thing, but how do you solve perception, spirit, and kind of those more ephemeral qualities. Charlotte, you look like you want to jump in there. Well, you know, and I think many people know I worked for NASDAQ for 10 years and I dealt with a lot of, of investors and companies in the US um, and a lot of companies who wanted to go to the US to take advantage of that. And you know, as we all know, equity investment is in decline from UK um, and that is going to cause us a real issue because effectively people are just saving money thinking that's going to magic up a very good pension in the future, but defined contribution is not the same as defined benefit. Now, in the US, you won't talk to anybody about a pension, they will tell you to the probably the nearest cent what their 401k is worth. You, if you're getting divorced, you will argue over the 401k, you will talk about it at dinner parties, the kids will talk about it as they sit there and graduate. Yeah, we don't have that. I think if you ask the normal man on the street, probably around this table you know, today, what's the value of your pension, all of us will go, or oh, I don't know, I'll have to wait for my next quarterly statement. And we may open that or I might file it. So we have to get people more aware. I think, you know, that's, you know, we have to offset that though with what happened in 99, 2000, where everybody piled into anything with the dot com at the end of it. And then of course, you know, and, and really expose themselves too much to companies that then dropped in valuation. But we have to get you know, people to understand the value of equities, even if that's just ISAs, perhaps that is increasing ISA values. Um, to be able to take advantage of this. Now, the problem we have, of course, as we all know, is not, not so many of these companies listed. 
So therefore, that's when it all comes back to how do we get people potentially some exposure to private companies before their valuations go up. So everybody shares the, the benefits of that increase and that growth. I think we all know that we are going to see plethora of different technologies coming through. You know, nobody was really talking about generative AI a few months ago. Everyone was talking about metaverse. We're now talking about that. We're talking about quantum. We know where the growth is going to come. And how do we get people excited on some of these technologies and potentially putting a small amount of their pension you know, or savings into those and getting people really excited about you know, the increase of those values? I think it's so important and such a big part of the conundrum. I'm going to jump in really, if I may, Justin, because I, I think it's a great question. And, and again, uh, you know, uh, Kate talked about risk and, and Charlotte talked about 401k culture in the States. And, and you know, uh, my firm's very big in Australia. Everyone talks about their Aussie super, what their pots were. And I think that um, the reason the culture has shifted is not just something British. It's shifted because of concrete changes that have been introduced and regulatory measures and impediments that we've introduced. We've, we've created an advice gap. We've made it very difficult for people to get easy financial advice. We've got the latest reports of 5 million people with exposure to crypto. We've got almost nobody directly invested in equities. That is preposterous. That is the product of a crazy regulatory system. And I'm not a fan of everybody going for the crypto. I'm a fan of much more ease. And I think that Kate's comment about risk. I, I've just written the first article I've written in about 10 years. I'm not a great article writer, and it was about risk. And it's a subject that I've talked a lot about at City UK, uh, the leadership group there, and we've had strong support for it. And, and, and I think the article is entitled something like risk elimination, the limits of the law and the challenges of reality. We keep legislating to ban risk, but life is inherently risky and growth requires risk taking. Uh, you know, you'd think that after COVID, after Ukraine, after the implications of a high stakes decision like the Brexit vote, that people would understand life is risky. But we still have had an era of constant further regulation to eliminate risk, and you cannot eliminate risk. And I think this permeates so many of the challenges we've had. And do you know what? I'm not, I'm not in the blame game of anybody. So uh, there's one constituency that's beating up on DB pension trustees, uh, defined benefit pension fund trustees with a closed fund with fixed obligations to pensions, by the way, many of which will not be fully funded to meet the obligations. So we've got some issues there in saying uh, DV pensions are perfect as they're going. Mm. But the trustees of those funds, which are often quite small, are doing what they're told to do by the system, which is to deliver a return of a fixed amount. And that drives them to, and they're also under pressure not to make calls for further contribution on issuers for uh, sponsoring companies for closed funds. So what do they do? They take a risk averse approach and they go for fixed income very, very heavily. Uh, when I started my career, a massive proportion I started in the mid 80s, a massive proportion of investments were in equity. Pension funds were mostly open, they were massively in equity. E even without the, the move from, uh, from open to closed uh, uh, DB funds, we've had a disproportionate movement away from equity because that's what the system and the rules have required. Uh, so please don't blame the pension fund trustees, but that is the outcome we've got. We've got less of our pensions invested in equity than almost any other country in the world. We've got less invested in growth and the point that, again, Kate also picked up, uh, 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 alluded to very briefly, but I'm going to pick up because it's the key, another key point, is, is you talked about gener uh, be generating better returns for, for pensioners, Kate. And I think that if you look at the data, the returns generated for UK pensioners, as I said, not beating up on the pension fund trustees, but doing what the system drives them to, 
but they're below everywhere else in the world. So not only have we not got the capital for growth, but actually I think we should start with what's the right return profile for our pensioners and savers, ordinary people, their pensions, their little pots. That seems to me the right starting place. And I tell you what, you look at the data I've seen, and basically if you compare the pension returns we generate with the same savings with our system, not the fault of the trustees, compared to somebody in Australia, we're generating pensions a third lower. That's a, those are life-changing amounts of money. They affect the stability and resilience of the UK. The way I look at it is we're not doing too badly today, given we've got these structural impediments. We've, by the way, we've, we've talked about equity culture. We've created huge disincentives to equity. We used to have tax advantages. Advanced corporation tax was an advantage for equity. We had other advantages for equity, basic things in an inflationary environment like indexation relief and so on on capital gains. There was a whole lot of, of issues there. The accounting didn't used to require uh, all of these issues to be treated as on balance sheet. So we've made equity less and less attractive. We don't get a deduction for equity, we get a deduction for debt. And we've seen this surge of financing going to debt, going to private capital, and going to investing offshore. So I think that the cultural things are the product of numerous excessive risk aversions, which are not really risk aversions, they're sh short-term risk elimination that are creating bigger systemic risk. So the, the solution that government has come up with, that is a agreement on behalf of pension companies to invest 5% of assets into unlisted equities. I guess my question there is, do we need to go further? Is 5% the right amount? And also it's a voluntary compact. Do, will we get anywhere without actually forcing pension providers to go a bit more or, or freeing up regulation even more? Kate, I might bring you in on, uh, on this one as the, the reg wonk. <laughs> Um, I'm not a pensions expert, as I must confess that. So I think there's a number of measures. I think, as you said, there is regulation that needs to be changed. And unfortunately, the regulatory system for pensions in the UK is actually quite complex. There are a number of different players um, from Department of Work and Pensions, the pensions regulator, the FCA, uh, you know, the sort of PRA also, as far as, it, as the kind of thing. So I think there's a lot of different, uh, you know, bits that need to be reformed that I will not confess I know, and I'm sure some others on this call might know better than me, but I think um, it's definitely an area that lots of people are focused on that needs movement. It's not the only area though, it must be said as well, so yeah. I mean, I think, yeah, I, I suppose just coming in on this, you know, as you say, it is up to 5%, it is voluntary, and it comes back to that cultural change. Are we going to see the cultural change needed for people to recognize the benefit of that? Again, foundations are there, but I, I think we have to recognise this probably won't happen automatically. A lot of people have been doing this the same way for a long time. You know, to James's point, trustees are you know have a really challenging job. They are sitting there legally obliged to do the best thing for investors, and you know, and if that goes wrong, then you know their you know their own profile you know is at risk. So I think you know, we, we're going to have to work out how do we bring those companies there to them. How do we show the advantage of this? How do we get growth capital into these companies, but also importantly, crossover capital? Um, it's not just about you know, the, the patient capital, it's the whole life cycle of it. Um, and I think, you know, as I said, it's, you know, there's multiple sort of um, issues here that are going to need to be addressed. Um, so we can change the regulation, we can change you, you know, the provision that we can at least get now up to 5% in there. But I think we have to recognize that's not necessarily going to just happen automatically next. Now, back yeah. in 1999, 2000, because I'm now getting quite old, so you, I remember 
going out with companies around Europe. When we took UK big tech companies around Europe, around the US, we showcased them to these big institutional investors. And there were there was institutional investment into these. Um, you know, so what we obviously need to happen is to make sure that our UK pension funds are seeing that growth. But I think we also need to probably go one step further and actually really showcase what the best in class is as well um, and show that there are some really exciting innovation areas and growth areas that will generate you know, significant revenue in the future and therefore will you know, deliver great returns for those trustees to you know, have confidence in putting investments towards them. If I could just Sorry, go for it. Well, I was just going to add a, a bit more on the pensions bit, which again, I'm not an expert on, but I have been spending some time working on this. And uh, uh, and I'm part of uh, the Chatham House um, New Capital Consensus Initiative, which is really looking at hard data on uh, what actually we need to do. So I think if we start with the fact that UK pensions, so let, let's not blame anyone still, but let's start with the fact that UK pensions are lower than other countries' pensions. So that tells me we've got a failing. We've also got the lowest proportion of UK pensions invested in the UK, growth, uh, in growth investments in the UK compared to other countries. That also tells me we've got a structural problem. So I think that the current system, it's great that we've recognised this. It's great that we've had the voluntary commitments about the 5%. It's definitely not enough. I am very, very opposed to mandating. I think mandating is just heavy-handed government short-termism. What we need to do is ask ourselves why other countries without mandating are incentivizing better returns and better proportion of their capital invested in growth in their own economies. And I think if you look at it, there's a whole range of issues. One of them is scale. We have very, very few large scale pension funds. We've got two really large open funds, the uh, universities scheme and RELPEN and a few others, but uh, actually a lot of our big schemes are closed. So they're run on a completely different basis, very, very low equity risk. Uh, there are certain funds that will go through buyout over the next years through insurance and other structural buyouts, which will allow consolidation. But consolidation, in my view, is not going to happen for numerous other funds that don't have the value to go through buyout. So we need structures to address that, because it's only with scale that you're going to start to have people not just put it all in US treasuries and UK gilts, but actually start to invest in equities, have the scale to put seed capital in and growth capital a range of tax issues that we need to address as well. But I think it needs real hard structural solutions, and that includes in the insurance space where we need further change too. I wonder why it's taken so long for us to take the action that the government has in, in recent months around this. I mean, before Brexit, around the time of Brexit, it was very common in the city and political circles to hear we're going to take advantage of our regulatory freedom, we're going to break free and create, you know, London 2.0, Singapore on Thames, whatever it was. So, you know, when we're in 2023, what's what's the hold up? Well, I mean, the, the problem we have here is that, you, as you know, there's it takes a long time because you know, one industry needs to look at this and that's why we have review after review after review. Because every time you do a review, you effectively uncover other parts that you're not allowed to cover as a review, but someone else needs to. Um, and I know that everyone's sitting there getting quite tired of all the reviews that have happened. But you know, some of those have been really instrumental in this area. You look at what Jonathan Hill obviously put through, Ron Khalifa on the fintech side, then the follow up with Mark Austin. We're now seeing Nigel Wilson doing another one. But these are important. You know, Rachel Kent's just put her, you know, obviously published hers last week in conjunction with Mansion House speech. 
and and that's because these are really big big topics and if you rush into one particular and think this is going to fix it and then find you haven't addressed the other issues then you know there is a problem i mean i'm hoping i don't know james and kate whether you agree i, I think we're getting to the end of review season um it has been a long long road um and so maybe you know now it is the time that we've started to see the announcements i know we're expecting more in the autumn statement as outlined by the chancellor um that hopefully now we can move at pace with all the hopefully the correct information and the data and the evidence to support that behind us yeah i would agree and you know and things things have to be put in place it is right not to to address this but it does take a long time and we're beginning to see you know things that maybe were consulted on in 2020 are beginning to come through now with the financial services and uh, markets bill now act actually things can be put in place um unfortunately there is a complex which keep you know complex regulatory system which keeps us all busy but it does take a while to get things through and still will be further and i think you know the, the issue this is you know in some ways it's it's fantastic it's brilliant that we can reshape our own thing but a lot of the companies that work here you know i look, obviously work in financial services and, and a lot of our clients are big international companies and there is there is a, a you know there is a balance that unfortunately we're going to, although the divergence is good in some ways they are going to have to deal with these two different you know regulatory systems across europe which will bring more cost um although it's interesting you're seeing with we make a move and then you see europe going oh okay well maybe we'll think about that as well it's interesting going back and forward but um i think that will be happening over the next few years i i'll make a slightly more controversial comment i mean i i think that we have uh i think the brexit uh vote and outcome has polarized political thinking for quite a long time it's distracted people and you add COVID to that as well yeah. There's been unbelievable levels of distraction. Ukraine, on top of that, it's yeah. been extraordinary. And but but I think that we have been beset by policymaking short-termism. People have been fixing the problem that caused the headline uh, six months ago, or three months ago, or two years ago, and talking about things as scandals, which are not scandals. Some people lose some money from time to time. And sometimes if people did things wrong, you have to force, take action against them and force against them and hold people accountable. But people from time to time losing money is what will happen if you have a private sector. 81% of the UK population works in the private sector. We're not going to have the state fix everything. We've got demographic changes where we will move from three to one people of working age to retirees to two to one uh, on the current trajectory. That means that we cannot leave the state to fund everything. This is not a plea for right-wing libertarianism. This is just basic maths. This is systemic sovereign risk for the UK. Uh, and this is all off balance sheet. And there are other countries that have, you know, we focus on GDP growth and politicians are very, very focused on GDP growth in the next six months. That's their goal. Actually, what we're talking about here are things that will create real growth over 10, 20 and 30 years. And to me, that is what is exciting about this. That is why I think it's an opportunity for momentum. People are not just looking at something that's going to give a quick bug for six or 12 months, which I think is a hopeless way of dealing with things. And again, the, the, to continue to stick my neck out, I think we've been uh, you know, absolutely tied up with this political short-termism, people trying to you know, pass virtue signaling measures, frankly, to prove they were right one way or another about some judgment when actually what is needed is hard deep thought about systemic issues i think that um i'm i'm a fan of a review i love all the reviews we've had i think that we have probably reviewed out on the capital markets infrastructure side of it 
I don't think we've begun to be reviewed out on the pensions and capital and savings side of the equation. We still have a huge saving gap. Uh, most people in the UK don't have significant access to savings. Auto-enrolment of pensions is at too low a level. We need some long-term tough decisions to deal with those things. I think there are issues about the tax system to raise a very controversial proposition, but is it really right that the UK gives full tax deductions for people to then put the whole of their ISAs and their pensions offshore? Is that actually a sensible use? When you go back, when we had tax arrangements in the 90s with ACT, some of the other arrangements there were effective incentives to invest in the UK. And they need to be done thoughtfully and carefully, and there are systemic consequences of every change. But I think the fact we're having this debate is unbelievably exciting and means the UK could actually steal a march on pretty much everywhere else in the world if we get this right. But don't let's expect we're going to fix everything in 12 months. This is going to be three to five to 10 years of hard graft and direction. But I think the recognition of the, of the issues, both by Labour and the Conservatives, because Labour are very actively following this as well, uh, is uh, unbelievably positive for this country. Leads me to a few questions that have come in from the floor. Thanks so much again for that, guys. Hal asks, is there adequate financial education in the UK to support risk management by individuals? That's a tough one. No. <laughs> I think, yeah, I think general consensus is definitely no. Um, again, how easy it, it fix it. Our financial regulators, for example, don't have any jurisdiction over changing that. Um, I know from having school aged children, there's a lot of things they have to learn. And so, you know, fitting this in, but it does, it does seem something that we really need to, to, to focus on. And even just, I mean, it's just a small thing going back to our discussion before. The, I think, and I heard a, one of these various various seminars are going on, the, the focus on the word pensions, almost people need to turn it now to investments because it isn't something that's going to pay you out something, you know, when you retire. It's, it is an investment now, you know, we've gone from DB. So even just that kind of thoughts and those things and, you know, the fact that, you know, my children know about, you know, know about crypto assets, but don't know what a share is, is a little bit worrying sometimes. So, yeah. It goes back to Charlotte's point about um, about the US 401k. Yeah. I don't think until you give people a stake, which they have to build up over time, and better to start just start somewhere. It may take years to build up, but it will build up. Auto-enrollment is one of the best long-term measures this country has done. We've not done many long-term things in the last 15 years, but we've done auto-enrollment. And, uh, and I think that if we move... I think James is whether it's a 401k type or whether it's the Aussie super. I think, yeah, I mean, I think maybe just to finish off on this point, Justin, you know, I think it is, it's very important that we give people, we arm them with the data you know, that they need to make those financial decisions. And I think a lot of us have said, hey, how do we get this back into schools? As we know, that's a really long, long process and probably one that we will, by the time we solve it, your industry will have found a solution. Um, you know, I talk a lot about open finance, open data, and dare I say it, the digital ID question, or at least a financial passport where people know they can go to one place and say, actually, what is my interface with my financial services journey, whether it's banking, whether it's insurance, whether it's you know, pensions and savings. I think we have to be able to show people now with all of this data and all this financial innovation available to us that they can now find that out. And we've got to really encourage people to be on top of that. So you know, would we love to see it in schools like it's done you know, in parts of Europe? Absolutely. 
but I think you, we have all the tools here. We just need to now sit and say, right, how do we actually show to people what's, you know, what's available to them? Because it's actually all there, but we do need to come together. And, and that is something that's got to sit between industry, government, policymakers to be able to sit there and look at the best way to make that happen. But let's not kid ourselves. In, industry could find a solution for that probably in the space of two weeks. Um, but we have to work out how we're going to best utilise those tools because then that will go back into schools. If we can't start at schools, we're going to have to start it at older and, and, and go back down. Guys, that brings really neatly to time. a really interesting discussion. So, Kate, Charlotte, James, thanks so much for joining us today. And thanks so much to our audience for tuning in. Please join us again tomorrow as Investors Business Daily's Elisa Coram and Ed Carson discuss how to find true AI winners. They'll share how to filter through the noise and find AI stocks with the most potential for big gains over the long run. Thanks so much again for listening and have a great day, everyone. The energy transition is a long and winding road, and it needs to be taken step by step. Learn more at SiemensEnergy.com.